0: Amen, Amen. good morning, good morning, my brothers and sisters, thank you so much, Sister Anne. morning, good morning. Um, What a privilege it is to be able to share the word of God with you another time, and I I don't take it lightly, and um, Sister Tishina spoke earlier to the fact that this is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, the first Sunday of Advent represents hope. And that is what I'll be speaking on this morning. So my title to you this morning is Eternal Hope. Um, I changed it a little bit, Sister Tashina. That's okay. You just have hope, but that's all right. Eternal Hope. So I have a piece of wall art in my product line that says hope. It's one word, hope. And recently I was at a craft show. And... A gentleman came by and he saw it, he looked at it and he said, I don't believe in hope, very, very matter of fact thing. And I said to him, no, he said, oh, you know, I I believe that person should work for what they want and not depend on hope. I, I don't believe in hope. And I said to him, you know, I'd love to engage in a discussion on that. And he said he would come back, but he never did. In preparing this message. I began to realize and it became clear to me why perhaps why he said what he said and why he had a difficulty with the concept of hope. And I asked a few persons, I was curious how persons define hope. So I asked a few of my friends without looking in a dictionary to tell me what it is hope means to them. How would they define hope? And here here are some of the responses that I got. The positive expectation of an outcome The belief that things will be better. A belief that good things you wish to happen will come to pass. pass. And one person simply said, anchor. And hope is commonly used to mean a wish. And for many, the strength of one's hope. I want you to catch this. For many persons, the strength of one's hope is dependent on the strength of the person's desire. The Cambridge Dictionary defines hope as this, to want something to happen or be true, and to think that it could happen or be true. But here's a definition of hope that I found at the Christian Healing website. It says, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength rests in the strength of God's faithfulness. I'll read that that again. Hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength rests in the strength of God's faithfulness. So the difference between the secular concept of hope and the Christian concept of hope is that the secular says that hope is as strong as the strength of the desire for something to happen. The Christian concept says hope is as strong as the strength of God's faithfulness. The gentleman who said to me that he does not believe in hope saw hope as something nebulous, airy-fairy. For him, hope has no foundation. It's not anchored in anything. But as Christians, our hope is anchored in God and our hope is an eternal hope. I want to start with Romans 15 and verse 13 and it says may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit the first five words in that says may the god of hope so that establishes that god is the source of hope it continues or hope no sorry or hope therefore is anchored in god and the scripture continues that hope comes when we trust in god and our hope overflows by the power of the holy spirit overflowing means spilling over beyond the capacity of the container so therefore what the scripture is saying that our hope will spill over beyond our own capacity Because our hope is anchored in God himself. So if I were to redefine hope, my definition of hope for us as Christians is hope is anchored in the faithfulness of God and will spill over beyond our own capacity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is available to us through the acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So unlike that gentleman who declared that he does not believe in hope, we believe in hope because the source of our hope, our eternal hope, is God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So I believe today the Lord wants me to remind us that he is our eternal hope. But to have access to this eternal hope requires that we must first acknowledge jesus christ as our lord and savior so my first point to you this morning is god is the source of our hope in sin so the, the first point simply is source of hope in sin and i want to read first peter 1 verses 3 to 4 from the niv version and it reads as follows Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. John 3:16 and 17 reads, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Scripture that we know very well. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We know that sin entered the world because of the disobedience of Adam. And because of that, we're all born in sin. So somebody may be listening today that does not know jesus as your lord and savior god and sin cannot coexist and so in order for him to restore his or relationship with him with mankind he sent his son jesus christ to die for us so if that is you this morning you're listening whether it is the recorded version the soundcloud whatever youtube whatever you're listening this morning And you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead was a one-time sacrifice that was made to allow you to be reconnected to God. So if you make a decision to ask God to forgive you of your sins and invite Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, you have access to this eternal hope that I'm talking about. So hope is in god and you have access to that hope the eternal hope not the airy fairy hope that is not anchored in anything only if you accept jesus christ as your lord and savior so i encourage you to do that and i'll, I'll extend a, a further invitation at the end of this message but there may be some of you who are listening today that may say, okay, well, I I know Christ as my Lord and Savior. You've committed your life to him, but you have found yourself in sin. There is still hope in sin. And I want us for a moment to look at King David. And we're going to look at Psalm 6, verses 1 to 7. And I would love to ask somebody to read, if somebody could volunteer to read this for me, please. I would appreciate it. Okay, it reads, O oh Lord, don't <laughs> rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal mm-hmm. me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Continue, please, Ruth. For my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart.
1: How long, O oh Lord, until you restore me? Return, O oh Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love for the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because Of all my enemies.
0: Thank you. So we see here in this scripture. That David was at a place. Where he sensed that he was under God's rebuke. And he was under that rebuke. Because of his own sin. David's experience. As written in this scripture. Was as a result of his own actions. But what we see here. Is that instead of running away from God. Because of his sin. David ran to God. Because he recognized that God was his only source of hope in what was a desperate situation. David was penitent. He humbled himself before God and acknowledged that he had done wrong. So what is your response when you have sinned and done wrong? Do you wander away from God in shame or frustration? Do you allow the enemy to tell you that you are beyond help? You've gone too far this time. No, man. This is the this is it. This, I mean, this one, knock it out of the park, you're done. No, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. My brothers and sisters, David's example to us is that it says that no matter how far, how deep into sin you go, there is still hope in sin. David being chastened by God was a sign of how much he meant to God. I want us to get this. If God is chastening you, it's a sign of how much you mean to him. It's a reminder of your adoption into the family of God as a child of God. And through that adoption, we have hope of being reconciled to God and being restored to fellowship with him. Hebrews 11, verses 7 and 8 says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. whoever Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and you are not really his children at all. So when we experience God's chastening, as David did, it's an invitation to us to cry out to God, our Father, who is the only source of hope in sin. What is required, as evidenced by David's example, is a recognition of that sin and a repentance and asking God to forgive us. David knew where to go in sin. But what if your situation is a little different? It is not you who has sinned. When, with David, we see that in his despair, he, know, he knew that he had to go to God. He knew that his option, his only option was to go to God. But what if, what if your crying out to God is on behalf of somebody else? They're so far from God that you are beginning to wonder if there is any hope for them to be saved not because god's hand cannot reach them god's hand is not too short but because of their own unwillingness to surrender their stubbornness you've been praying for salvation from how long ago day in day out but nothing has changed is it your son your daughter your parent your grandparents, your grandchildren, your husband, your wife, year after year has passed and nothing appears to be different. The person has shown no interest in God, let alone showing a a conviction that would lead them to commit their life to him. Well, I'm here to remind you today that there is still hope. And I want to encourage you by sharing an experience I had a few weeks ago. I went to a business place and I was sitting in the waiting area and an elderly gentleman came in with this young lady. I believe she's his great grandniece or, or grandniece. and she sat to the back of the waiting area. He sat beside me and I struck up a conversation with him and he started telling me about his childhood, where he grew up and his life and so on. And as we spoke, he said to me that he was 95 years old. Never looked at but he said. He's 95 years old. And we kept talking. And as we spoke, I asked him if he has committed his life to the Lord. And my brothers and sisters, I'm not joking. The man, is he was wearing a mask, but his face lit up. You could see his eyes lit up. And he said, yes. And he was so excited to tell me his story. He said, miss, I got baptized five years ago. And I gave my life to God five years ago. And it blew. To my mind imagine that the man is 95 years ago years old and five years ago at the age of 90 he committed his life to the lord there is still hope somebody maybe his mother grandmother father grandfather somebody was praying for him may have been praying for him somebody perhaps even imagine let's let's create a scenario Suppose his mother, father, were praying for him from, let's say he was 10 years old. Chances are, at 95 years old now, they would not have survived to see him at this point in time. They would not have survived to see him commit his life to the Lord at the age of 90. But 80 years later, 80 years later, after they would have been praying, he committed his life to the Lord. What am I saying in all of this? Don't give up. Do not lose hope because hope is eternal, even in sin. And whoever it is that you're praying for, for their salvation, there is still hope that they can be saved. So do not give up hope. But you may be listening and you may be saying, Well, I I, I hear you, but I don't identify with anything that you've said so far. You're saved an outsider looking in you're a pillar of strength you're considered a spiritual giant in your family it appears that you always have it together persons looking on even those closest to you will see the spiritual highs that you experience but they don't know or understand the spiritual lows that you experience truth be told many christians silently struggle through these times of weakness We silently struggle through the feelings of despair, the feelings of hopelessness. And I believe that my my responsibility this morning, what I'm tasked with this morning is to remind us that God is our source source of hope in weakness. And that's my second point to you this morning. The source of hope in weakness. And I want us to look at Elijah. Elijah and walk through an experience that Elijah had, as recorded in 1 Kings 19. And 1 Kings 19 NLT version reads as follows. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servants there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Elijah had just gone through what perhaps was one of the greatest demonstrations of God's power in the chronicle of his life. And you can read that in 1 Kings 18. By the power of God, he stood toe-to-toe with Ahab, King Ahab, and the idol worshippers at Mount Carmel, God consumed the sacrifice, consumed the water. Everything was consumed. It was a powerful demonstration of of, of God's uh, power. And Elijah was so empowered by God that when he he went to Mount Carmel to pray for rain, the season of, of drought had ended and he went to pray for rain. And because of his prayer, the rain came. And he was so empowered by God that when the rain came, he even outran King Ahab, who was on a horse-driven chariot. Elijah ran ahead of him. Yet, fast forward to chapter 19, and we see Elijah here running away to the wilderness because of Jezebel. Elijah had reached a place of despair and hopelessness. And I say that confidently because in verse 4, it says, Elijah prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. That is what is recorded that he said to God. And this was because of what Jezebel was doing. Because of Jezebel, Elijah gave up hope. Who is your Jezebel? What has caused you to say or want to say to God, I have had enough? Like Elijah, you've had many highs with God. You've had your Mount Carmel experiences. You are regarded as a pillar of strength. You're regarded as a a pillar of faith. You're the one who persons come to, to pray. Your family looks to you for strength. But silently, you have a Jezebel that is causing you to teeter on the brink of despair and hopelessness. You're ready to give up. Like Jezebel was to Elijah, people have made it their life mission to try to destroy you. You're tired, you're weary, you're worn out from all the battles that you have fought. But the good news today is that your eternal hope is in God. My eternal hope is in God. And what is encouraging about Elijah's story is that he was honest with God. He did not pretend like everything was okay. He was bare. He was naked with his emotions before God. And God heard and responded as a gentle, loving father. He restored hope for Elijah. Elijah. And he sent Elijah to complete the mission. Because his mission wasn't done. But God stopped to restore his hope. My question to you this morning is, do you bear your feelings to God? Sadly, I think that as Christians, we've become perfect pretenders. We pretend. And so we've so perfected the art of pretending that we've even begun to pretend with God. We pretend with each other, but we pretend with God. But Elijah's story is encouragement to us today that we need to bear our feelings to God, be naked before God. Tell him what it is that we're feeling. And what I found interesting with Elijah's story is this. All Elijah said to God is that he wanted to die and he had enough. Nothing in the scripture said that Elijah appealed to God to restore his hope or to encourage him or to strengthen him. Nothing said that. All he said was, listen, I've had enough. I want to die. He had already given up and he was ready to die. But what I see from the scripture is that his acknowledgement of his feeling was in effect an invitation for God to step into his situation. So God will meet us where we are. An admission of your weakness is not a bad thing. Without an admission of where you are, you're not inviting God to step into your situation. And there's some of you who know part of my story. None of you know all of it, but some of you know part of it. And there have been times for me when I have literally cried before God until no song came out of me, crying until I was gasping for breath. I was in a place of despair and cry out to God. And what happened? The Lord sent a word of encouragement to me through his prophets. Not one, but two prophets who don't know each other. One, did, one didn't even know me before. And this is what the Lord said. And I wrote it down word for word. The Lord said to me, you have cried enough, my daughter. You have cried enough. I have taken away your anguish, says God. I have taken away your sorrow and pain. I have taken the reproach that the enemy has cast on you, says God. There shall be no more tears of sorrow, my daughter, because I have taken it away the lord showed one of those persons one of the prophets that spoke into into my life the lord showed them a vision of me crying shut away in a room and crying out to god and the person saw me laying some things before god and the word that the lord gave that person for me is that he is breathing on my requests what is it that you want the lord to breathe on today He's reminding you today that your hope is anchored in him. He is the source of your eternal hope. He's the source of your hope in your weakness. Be honest, be vulnerable, be naked before your God and ask him to help restore hope in that place of weakness because he is your God of hope. And so I've spoken about God being the source of hope in sin, God being the source of hope in weakness. But some of you may be listening and you're thinking, you, you, you don't know my situation. You don't understand that I'm past this stage of weakness. I am now at a stage where my situation I consider completely dead. And I smile to myself as I listen to Sister Tamara's opening remarks from the scripture with Ezekiel, where she spoke to the dry bones. And that may be you this morning. You say, Karen, that is my, my situation is just dry bones. How can I hold on to hope in the midst of a situation that is dead and rotting? I have gone as far as to bury it because I have given up hope. But guess what? It's not over till it's over. If your hope is in Christ, he has the final say. So my third point to you this morning is that there is hope in death. God is your source of hope in death. And in your private time, I want you to read John 11, the entire chapter. But I want to summarize it before I get into the point I'm making. John 11 chronicles the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. When Lazarus fell sick, Jesus was away in a different town. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that your friend is sick. Jesus' response to them was that his sickness is not unto death. It is so the Son of God will receive glory from it. And he stayed where he was for a few more days before he left. But when he arrived, he was told that Lazarus had been dead for four days. People were there mourning the loss with Mary and Martha. Jesus got to Lazarus' tomb and he told them to roll away the stone. Martha protested. Martha said, but, but Lord, he now smells. He stink because he's been dead four days. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out, hands and feet bound with the grave clothes. And Jesus's instructions to them was, "Loose him." Listen to this: When Lazarus fell sick but was alive, Mary and Martha had hope that he would live. They knew the power that was in Jesus. They knew that their hope was in Jesus. That was there, there's no there's no debate in that. They knew that hope. Of Lazarus his healing was in Jesus and they knew that they had access to him so because they knew that he had the power and they knew that they had access to him they sent a message to him to come because Lazarus is sick and reasonably their expectation was that the source of their hope would come before death was a reality but Jesus did not go before Lazarus died Mary and Martha and those who were with them began to mourn the death of Lazarus because for them, hope of Lazarus's living died when Lazarus died. What is your Lazarus this morning? What is it that was sick but to you is now dead? What do you have that is dead that has caused you to lose hope? because the source of your hope did not show up in time. The power that resides in the source of your hope, I want you to catch this. The power that resides in the source of your hope does not require that there be life in your situation. I'm going to repeat that. The power that resides in the source of your hope does not require that there be life in your situation no matter how stink it is, no matter if the flesh is rotten, no matter if worms have infested it, if your hope is anchored in Jesus Christ, it can live. Jesus asked Mary in verse 34 of the the chapter, where have you put him? They had wrapped Lazarus in grave clothes and laid him in the tomb. Where have you put your situation? Where have you put that which you now think is hopeless because it is dead? What have you wrapped in grave clothes? Is it your marriage? Salvation for your children? Salvation for your husband or your wife? For your, your parents? Is it your finances? Your health? Restoration of peace on your job? The hope? for growth in your ministry, what have you given up on because it lays lifeless and is now stink because Jesus did not show up when you expected him to? It's not that you didn't know the source of your hope. Like Mary and Martha, you know the source of your hope. You said to call him. You've been praying. But he tarried. He did not show up when you expected him to show up. Now you're angry and you're saying to God, God, if you had only showed up in time, my situation would not be. God, if you had showed up two years ago, I would not have lost my marriage. God, if you had uh, given me that job when I applied for it, I would not be now struggling to pay my my bills. God, if you had healed the cancer when it was just diagnosed, I would not now be struggling with stage four. God, where are you? Where were you when I needed you to show up? My situation was dying, God. But Father, my situation was dying, but you tarried. No, my situation is dead. I'm staring at dry bones before me. Is that your cry today? God, where are you? God, where, why didn't you show up? Like Mary and Martha, you wanted God to step in and heal that which was sick. Even those that were looking on expected Jesus to have healed Lazarus. In verse 37, it says, some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? That's the onlookers. Someone who knows your situation is whispering behind your back and saying, but the God that she claimed to serve, couldn't couldn't he have saved her from that? The Jesus who is always talking about couldn't show up for him. Every day in talking about Jesus, this, Jesus, that, Jesus, Jesus. Where was Jesus when she was in the hospital? Where was Jesus when her children got into trouble? Where was Jesus when his wife left him? Where was this Jesus when he got fired from his job? Where was this Jesus when they repossessed his car? They're on the outside looking in and asking, but where was this Jesus? Where was Jesus when? What is your when? Put yourself in that question. Where was Jesus when? What is your when? But what did Jesus say to Mary and Martha in verse 40? He said, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? They were looking for God to heal, for Jesus to heal. They were looking for healing. But Jesus knew that a resurrection would give his father even greater glory. So here's the here's plot twist. A resurrection was a greater miracle than a healing. You are looking for a healing miracle. God is waiting to perform a resurrection miracle. Somebody who is familiar with your situation, with your dead situation, will see the miracle of the resurrection that God will do. And because it will be a resurrection, God will get even greater glory than if he had performed a healing. So stop doubting God in your dead situation and ask him to restore your hope. Restore your hope in him who is the source of hope, even in death. Your hope does not die when your situation dies because your hope is in the everlasting, eternal, omnipotent God. That is the nature of the God that you serve and your hope is in him. So do not give up hope this morning. So I've looked at hope in sin. I've looked at hope in weakness and I've looked at hope in death. David, when he was in sin, cried out to the God of hope. Elijah was in despair. He bare himself before God and God showed up. Mary and Martha lost hope when faced with the stench of death. In everything that I've shared so far, I've highlighted the importance of looking to God, looking to Jesus Christ as a source of our hope, no matter what the circumstances. In those times, it's important to turn our eyes to the source of our eternal hope but guess what sometimes god brings hope through us so my final point to you this morning is to it's a challenge and it's a challenge for you to make yourselves available to be instruments of hope so my fourth and final point is be instruments of hope so we, we we've established that the source of hope is christ but have you ever asked yourself whether or not you are an instrument that God can use to share hope? Do you, do you see yourself as a conduit of hope? And I want us to look at Matthew nine thirty five to 36. Someone please unmute and read it for me. Matthew 9, to, 30, 9, to 36. And we're reading from the NIV version. Go ahead, please.
1: Matthew 9, verse 35 to 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sicknesses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like
0: sheep without a shepherd. Thank you. The people described in this passage could, without fear of contradiction, be considered people who were hopeless. They were harassed. They were helpless. They, They lacked the ability to help themselves. They were lost like sheep without anyone to guide them. Jesus saw the desperation of their situation. He saw their hopelessness and he showed compassion on them. In addition to that, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Jesus' reference to the harvest is talking about persons in our lives, persons in our communities, persons in the world here and now today. Every day of your life, you encounter someone who is part of that harvest. What is your reaction What is your response when you encounter those persons? Those who are harassed, harassed because they're poor, harassed because they're different than we are, harassed because they're beaten down by life circumstances and they're caught in a web seemingly with no way out. It can be a web of drugs, web of prostitution, a web of violence. What is your reaction to those persons? Is it one of compassion? Like Jesus showed, Jesus brought hope to those who were hopeless. Is there a burning desire in you to be used by God to share the message of hope? There are some out there who are destitute. They're drowning in despair. They're angry. They're lost. They're frustrated. They're on the verge of giving up. There are some who are hopeless. God's desire is for you, for me to be the instrument through which he brings hope to the hopeless. Jesus' reference in the labor has been few, means that we as believers have a role to play in bringing hope to people. But are you available? If not you, then who? Or are you so consumed by your own circumstances, by your own situation, that you, you don't even notice the hopeless among you? Sadly, society has fed us with a diet that has allowed us, and and we have allowed ourselves, rather, to consume, that have caused many of us in the body of Christ to become desensitized to pain. We're desensitized to hurt. We're desensitized to the malignment of the underprivileged. We're desensitized to the ill-treatment of the poor. But today is a call to action to be an effective instrument of hope in God's hands. Will you make yourselves available? The next time you encounter somebody whose behavior may offend your sensibilities, instead of being quick to judge and condemn, how about showing some compassion? How about asking the Holy Spirit to tell you how to respond? Maybe, just maybe, the Lord is presenting an opportunity For you to be used as an instrument of hope. A soft word of kindness to that co-worker who is always abrasive and rude. A smile at someone whose facial expression is angry. A listening ear to the person next to you in the line who is complaining about what you may think is minor. A helping hand to push the stroller for a mother who is struggling to push the stroller and carrying a toddler in, in the other hand. Something as simple as reaching up to take something off the top shelf for somebody who you see is struggling to reach it. Or a helping hand to that elderly person who is struggling with their grocery bags. You don't know what your action can do for people. You never know how your deliberate acts of compassion and kindness can bring about a one-eighth degree turn in somebody's situation from one of hopelessness one where hope is restored and 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 guess what i'm not just talking about being an instrument of hope for strangers i'm also talking about us being instruments of hope for fellow believers instruments of hope for each other and the final scripture that i want to look at this morning comes from first corinthians sorry second corinthians 2. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. And it reads as follows. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts, comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The experiences that we go through in life as believers, whether it is an Elijah experience, whether it's a David experience, whether it is a Mary and Martha experience, those experiences are opportunities for us to allow God to use us to experientially minister hope to our fellow believers. In the scripture reading, in 2 Corinthians, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth. He was talking to Christians. What he's saying is that there are opportunities to empathize with those who are walking a similar road as we walked or are now walking. Our experiences give us an opportunity to become conduits through which God can channel his hope to our brothers and sisters. How often do you open up to others about your experiences, about your sufferings? The problem with us is that, I said it earlier, that we have perfected the art of pretending. And because of that, we pretend as if everything is all rosy. When was the last time you called a brother or a sister who you know is going through a difficult time? We see from Elijah's example and from David's example that we too as believers can have times of hopelessness and despair. But what is the response when we see others going through those situations? And I will share something I witnessed firsthand recently. I was in a setting where a group of persons were sharing and these were both Christians and non-Christians. And there was a lady there, let's just call her Mary for the illustration. And Mary said that she wanted to share because she was going through a lot at home. She shared about her husband being unsaved. Mary is a Christian, shared about her unsaved husband, how he was abusive, unkind. She shared about her children being rebellious. She shared that sometimes at night, demons would come into her home, but the only room they would not enter was her bedroom because she's a prayer warrior and they know that they cannot touch her, but they would go in her children's room. And when she sensed them, she would rush and she'd get her children, teenagers. She would get her children and she'd take them into her room. And she said that she's a prayer warrior at home. She's a prayer warrior at church. But Mary said, I'm tired. And she kept repeating it as she was sharing. She kept saying, I'm tired because it's me alone holding up the house. I'm tired. And we all listened. And when Mary was done sharing, one of the other persons, who is also a Christian, said to Mary, you need to declare the word of God in your house. You need to go from room to room and command demons to go in the name of Jesus. And she started quoting scriptures that Mary should declare in her house and speak over your children. And she went on and on with all good intentions. And we all listened. There was somebody else who was there listening keenly to what Mary was saying. And the person was locked into the expression on Mary's face. And the person shared later that the Holy Spirit made her sensitive to what Mary was experiencing. And she moved over and she placed a hand on Mary's shoulder. And she said to Mary, I speak encouragement into your spirit. You know how to pray. I know you know how to pray. You're a warrior in the spirit. You know the scriptures. You're not afraid of demons, but you need to be encouraged. I speak encouragement into your spirit. Mary broke down into tears, and she just started crying and crying and crying. And it's as if she was saying, you understand. And after saying that to Mary, this lady prayed for her. and. Mary gave the lady, no, Mary asked the lady for her number and said, you know, can I call you from time to time? And the person said yes. What am I saying in all of this? Often as Christians, when our brothers and sisters are going through their difficulties, their struggles, we spiritualize our response. We know the scriptures to reference, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And we, we know the scriptures and there's nothing wrong with quoting scriptures. Our hope is rooted in God and that comes through knowledge and application of his word. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But as I prepared this message, I felt that like the Lord wanted me to remind us this morning the importance of going beyond the scripted response to showing empathy and compassion. Something as simple as saying, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Asking, can I give you a hug? Even sitting in silence with someone as they cry. Sometimes no words are necessary. And the scripture is replete with examples of how Jesus showed compassion on those who needed it. But sadly, compassion is lacking among us as believers, even compassion to our fellow brothers and sisters. But your response to somebody may be what they need to pull them back from the brink of hopelessness. Maybe your response is what they need as a refreshing to keep them going. Are you an instrument of hope that God can use to encourage your brother or your sister? And as I wrap up, I want us to watch this video. And uh, as you watch the video, I want you to pay careful attention to what is happening. It's a video of a student in a gym, and I'm narrating it for those who may be listening on SoundCloud later and not have the benefit of the visual. It's a video of A little boy, a gymnast, and he's attempting to do, uh, uh, um, to jump over, Uh, I I think they call it a sawhorse or something like that. And I want you, as you watch, to observe keenly. Go ahead, Sister Tashina, please. Remember to pause at nine seconds. Okay. So we pause here to make some observations. Here is this little boy on the floor. The first image you saw of him was coming off the back of the sawhorse, wiping his eyes. And so that says to me that he attempted before and he failed. And you saw him attempt again and he failed, and he's walking back to his position and he's wiping his eyes. And in the image, we see several things. We see someone standing beside that soul horse and that could be his coach. We see fellow students who are watching from a distance and those are the persons we see behind the, the, the coach. And we also see fellow students who are watching up close, and those are the persons who are standing or sorry, sitting to the right of where the boy started walking. We also see members of an audience, and we see cameras. I want you to take in all of this. We see cameras and continue, please, Sister Tashina. <laughs> And we see the boy tried again and failed and he keep coming back and he's wiping tears from his eyes. I want you to look at the lady to the far right of that image. You see someone sitting at the front and she has her hand up on the camera and she's repositioning the camera to capture the event. Go ahead and play this. What happened? We see what happened. I saw this video on Instagram, and I knew I had even started preparing this message, but the, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me through this video. And uh, I want you to listen keenly to what I'm saying. I'm going to play it again. But leaping over that sawhorse represents or life journey. The, person's, the person who is standing beside that sawhorse, represents our coach, Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, who are you in the video? Are you the little boy who is in despair and seemingly hopeless because he doesn't know where to look to for hope? That's one scenario I want to paint. You're a sinner. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're feeling this desperate and hopeless, but you don't know where to look to for hope. Or maybe it is that you have a relationship with God, but like the, the boy who's trying to jump over the saw horse, you've become weak like Elijah, and you need your hope to be renewed. Or maybe you are the boy like Mary and Martha, and you think that what you're facing is an impossible situation. You cannot see how you're going to jump over this situation. You can't see how you're going to reach the other side of this. There's still others in the video. Maybe you are one of the little boy's peers watching from a distance behind the sawhorse, but offering no help. Or maybe you are the pair who is watching up close and you're watching up close, but you're thinking, oh, I could have jumped already. I would have jumped over it already. You're judging, you're criticizing. Or you may be the peer who is watching up close and you're wondering, so what am I crying for? What should I cry for? Just need to tough up and fight it out. Who are you? Or maybe it is, you are someone who is looking on, you're in the audience, not concerned about the outcome, one way or the other. You don't really care. You've become so apathetic that you've lost your sensitivity to your brother or your sister's struggle. Or maybe you're in the audience and you're thinking, oh, John or Janet would have jumped already. They would have done it already. Maybe John or Janet is your child or your friend. And you're comparing that boy to somebody you know and say, oh, they would have done it already. Or maybe you're not just looking on, but maybe you're like that lady in the front row that you've positioned your camera to capture the event. And you're capturing the event, not to celebrate, but maybe you're capturing the event to be able to say, you can call Mary Jane and say, Mary, you know Sir Karen, because what? You have have, registered it in your mind and you see the failure and you're running to share the failure. Who are you in that video? maybe just maybe keep playing it for me please sister Tashina and turn on the volume maybe can you hear me maybe just maybe you are the pair that is watching up close maybe just maybe you are the instrument of hope, you can pause it, please. Maybe, just maybe, you are the instrument of hope that that person needs. Maybe, just maybe, you are one of those persons that got up and circled that little boy and encouraged him. And because of your encouragement, because you made yourself available as an instrument of hope, he was able to mount over it. Who are you in the video? Thank you, Sister Tishio. Who are you in the video? This word this morning is a word that requires a response. Whichever role you saw yourself in, there's an opportunity this morning for you to go before the Lord. If you are the boy who do not know the source of hope, the true source of eternal hope, I'm extending an invitation to you this morning to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the source of eternal hope. And I want you to repeat this prayer, a simple prayer. All that is required is for you to acknowledge your sins, repent of your sins, and invite Jesus into your life. And so I want you to repeat this afternoon. Dear Lord. I know that I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died and rose from the dead to give me the opportunity to become a child of God. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I choose to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. If that is you today, whether you're listening live, whether you're listening to the recorded version, if that is you, I invite you to give us a call at 469-333-0397 or send us an email at newhorizonmin at gmail.com. That's 469-333-0397 or email us at newhorizonmin.com at gmail.com Maybe it is you are the boy like Elijah who needs a refreshing Invite God into your situation this morning As a matter of fact, all you need like Elijah to do is just to be bare and honest before God. Tell him where you are this morning. Be naked before him. Don't pretend. Pretending doesn't work with God. You may be able to fool us. You may be be able to fool your friends, but you can't fool God. Or, if you are the onlooker, be honest with yourself and 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 assess what role are you playing as an onlooker. Are you the onlooker who is unconcerned, don't care one way or the other? Are you the onlooker who is waiting to capture the failure to spread the word? Are you the onlooker who is ready? circle your brother or your sister and be a conduit of hope that the Lord can use. That's all I have to say this morning, but this requires a response, and I'm going to ask our sister Ruth to pray for all of us. You know where you are, but I'm going to ask her to do a general prayer. Thank you.
1: Amen, and amen. After this message, I was just going to prayer. But before we go into prayer, as Sister Karen just said, let's pause for even 50 seconds and ask the God of hope, the one who who is to come to visit us right now, and do what only he can do for 50 seconds. Hallelujah to your name. What a word, God. Father, where are we this morning in our hope? Are we like Mary and Martha? Are we like Elijah? Are we like that little boy? Are we like a David? We ask you, Father, to visit us this morning and attend unto our hopelessness because only you can turn water into wine only you is our help only you father because man will disappoint let us put our trust in you and you alone we thank you this morning for this word we thank you for your woman servant who dive into this world like never before. Thank you for her wisdom. And it only comes from you, God, that she could present it as only you, Holy Spirit, could present, represent through her. I thank you, Father. And I ask you, God, that as from today, the 27th of November, or hope stand on all of the ground. Physical of us are asking questions, God, when when will this Husband that to you are doing travel to different countries and are waiting for answers. And I ask you to hearken unto their request. What is all about you? Because your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. You are the beginning and the end, you are the Alpha and the Omega. And you are the one that stepped out in space, God. And said, let there be light. And I ask you this morning, that the, this afternoon, that there will be light on each and every one of us' situation. A lot of us are going through. And we are rejoicing. But deep down, deep on, on Father, let us bear ourselves before you like Elijah did. Elijah suffered from depression he was depressed after such after he did such, something so so spectacular like killing all of them on mont carmel when he went back down on planet earth he had to deal with a jezebel i ask you this morning to to to, to alienate father to, to to decrease every jezebel also in our lives because we too sometimes have some jezebel qualities i do god I ask you to forgive us. We will walk in purity. We will walk in holiness, and we will walk in the truth because we are children of the most high God. I thank you for what you're doing and what we will continue to do in New Life Horizon, that every morning as we come on this platform, it's a new word from you, Lord. And as we begin Advent, which is a time of celebration, a time of hope, a time of love, a time of joy, and a time of peace in the Holy Ghost. We will not forget the gift that you gave us, the gift, Father, of your only son, because that is what it's all about. I thank you for each and every one of us on this platform this morning, and I ask you, God, that you will grant Tamar a new hope. Sister Tish. Tina, Marlon, Cheryl, Angela, or Pastor Larry, Winsome, Onika, Anne, and her sister Karen. Whatever God they've been asking for, I ask you, as they continue to delight themselves in you, you will grant them the desires of your heart as only you can. We ask you to perfect that which concerns us and we ask that you will walk in our situation and you will give us hope and joy in the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Papa, and we ask you to do a work as only you can. In the name of Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, amen and amen.